2: Welcome to our couch. Take a seat. It's time for therapy. Movie therapy.
1: I'm Rafer Guzman, metaphysician to the stars.
2: And I'm Kristen Meinzer, PhD of dream interpretation.
1: Quick note, we are not actually either of those things we just mentioned. I am, of course, the film critic for Newsday, and Kristen is a culture critic. But together, we also moonlight as movie therapists. Isn't that right, Kristen?
2: And TV therapists. We do both. Oh, that's Double I duty. beg your
1: pardon. I beg your pardon.
2: How <laughs> could I forget?
1: <laughs> All right. We've got some letters Let's get to our first one Kristen you want to read this one
2: Yes we have Emily <laughs> not an Emily another Emily yes our in-house pseudonym I still don't know how that happened Do you think all the people who wrote in in the early days of the show were really named Emily?
1: Well now it's just a self-sustaining joke we may have to we may have to put a moratorium on the Emily at some point <laughs> but not, not not yet not yet let's keep no. going with it for now
2: I still think it's pretty funny All right <laughs> well Emily says dear Rafer and Kristen, Overall, my wife and I have a great relationship. We've been together over 25 years, and we have two mostly grown kids. One at home because of the pandemic, and one who's out of the house. We've worked really hard during these months of lockdown to make sure we're still having fun together, and mostly, we're doing pretty well. However, like all couples, we argue sometimes. Occasionally, these are new disagreements, like, where's the best place to keep the basket of face masks and hand sanitizer? Unfortunately, we also have arguments that seem to go back decades. A minor disagreement will trigger something in me, and all of a sudden, I'm reliving every similar conflict we've ever had. Instantly, I'm not just mad about today's laundry or dishes or financial issue, I'm mad about 25 years worth of discord around laundry, dishes, and money. I don't want to keep revisiting these fights, I want to get rid of this excess baggage. Do you have any advice for me as well as viewing recommendations about couples, either queer or straight, who manage to navigate the hard times and disputes, stay together, and most importantly, continue to have fun in a long-term relationship? Please, nothing too esoteric or scary. I'm talking to you, Reefer. What? Me? (laughs) I love that Emily included that in there. Well,
1: I can say for myself, and I think I speak for Kristen, uh, that this has never happened to us. <laughs> We're not familiar familiar with this problem at all. I'm sorry, Emily. Just watch a Looney Tunes and forget about it. We have no advice for you. Yeah. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Uh, listen, I, I'll 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 just jump in here and say that um, you know, it's. This is going to happen. This is going to happen when you're married to someone. You're going to have some fights. You're going to have the same fights. You're probably going to have the same fights over and over and over. Um, you know, um, it's just that's what happens when you put two people in close quarters, no matter how much they love each other. I would, I'm would. i going to offer a couple pieces of advice. One is get thee to a couple's counselor. It worked for me and ann Anne. We have smoothed over some disagreements, some old disagreements. I'm not saying they've vanished, but we have worked around them. It's worked pretty well for us. Um, And the other thing I would say, and I'm just sort of gleaning this from your letter, Emily, when you're talking about this very common thing, I think, where something sort of triggers you and you're not just mad about today's problem. You're mad about the last 20 years of that same problem. Um, My suggestion would be to be direct be direct, discuss today's problem, discuss today's problem today, and don't sit on it, not even for 24 hours. Somebody, it might have been that couples counselor that we went to, I can't quite remember, but somebody (laughs) gave us the advice. I think it's kind of common advice that's floating around out there, which is, you know, after 24 hours, it's in the past, you can't talk about it, don't bring it up. Mm. So you got to bring it up now, if you're going to bring it up, do it, don't sit on it, do it now. Um, that's my little bit of advice. Kristen, what do you say?
2: I think that's all great advice, Rafer. I would also just add a couple of other things. One, some advice I heard a while back was try to distinguish between what is a roommate problem and what is a couple problem.
1: Oh, that's good advice.
2: Because there are different kinds of disputes, you know, because you're mad at the laundry, it doesn't have to mean that your partner doesn't care about you and has never loved you in the first place. This is you know, a common roommate issue. Right. And it sucks. And I have a roommate. He's my husband, but he's still my roommate. And, you know, I'm not the best roommate all the time. I'll just own it. I'm not. You know, he does all the laundry. He does all the cooking. He does all the dishes. I'm useless. I do nothing around this place. (laughs) That can't be. You? Really? I don't know why he's with me. (laughs) But... You know, distinguishing between those two things, I think, can sometimes help us compartmentalize what we're actually fighting about when we're fighting. And I don't think fighting is all bad. Sometimes we need to just address stuff, get it out, talk about it. It's better than holding it down and then just building resentment. And the other thing I was going to say, as far as those fights you keep going back to, they're frequently not about the laundry. They're frequently about something else. Very true. So if you can get to the heart of what that is, and that may require doing what Rafer suggested, maybe seeing a couples counselor, um, it may require having some tough conversations. If that's the case, do it. Go there so that you can you know, feel a little bit less pain around those sticking points. That's my advice.
1: I think that's very good advice. Uh, the roommate problem—that's—I um, think that's really true because we are talking about you know toilet seat up and toilet seat down. We are mm-hmm. talking about laundry, oh, yeah. dishes, right? Wait, I made the dinner, you do the dishes. Um, you know, yeah. I have two smaller roommates, and I wish they did more dishes. Let me tell you. <laughs> um, yeah, no, I think that's all very, very, very good advice. Uh, so, Kristen, what do you have to recommend for our our newest Emily?
2: Oh wow! Well, I got to say, I thought about this long and hard because there are, frankly, in Hollywood, a lot of couples they like to show who are just starting out, just falling in love, happily ever after. That's the end of the movie. The movie ends at the wedding. And there aren't as many movies, if you just look statistically at how many movies there are, about couples who've been together for 25 years or longer, couples who have gone through the ups and downs. If you see those couples, they're frequently the parents of the main character or the grandparents of the main character. But right. there is a movie, and it does include, at the center, a queer couple that I think speaks right to Emily's issues. This is a movie from 2014. It's a documentary called To Be Take. Do you remember this movie, Rafer? To Be tokay. Oh, is in George Take? Yes, as in I'm okay, you're Takay. Yes.
1: <laughs> That's right. No, I heard about this film, but I've never seen it.
2: Ah, wow. Well. It was all over the festival circuit. It won a ton of awards. It is a delightful little documentary. Um, if you're not familiar with it, To Be k is about LGBTQ activist and star of the original Star Trek series, George Takei. It tells George's very incredible story from being a young boy behind barbed wire in internment camps growing up and follows his rise to stardom on Star Trek. And then, of course, we meet Brad, his husband. Brad and George have been together since the 1980s. We see all the great, beautiful, supportive things about their relationship, and you know, in a lot of ways, their relationship seems perfect, but you also see there's some fights. Here's a clip.
0: George is the love of my life. I'm proud of him. I've heard that before. <laughs> <laughs> he's he's wonderful. <laughs> well, if you see him talking to me sometimes, you wouldn't think so. <laughs> I didn't understand that answer. <laughs> <laughs> He's argumentative and I'm defensive. <laughs> he, it, notice every time George says something serious about a relationship, he always laughs immediately after <laughs> What's that mean? I don't know. I think it's psychological. I find it amusing. Like bringing no, joy. Like he'll say, Nose Brad's gained a few uh, some weight over the decades." <laughs> <laughs> well, that that is funny. I, I find it <laughs> eminently amusing. <laughs> well, maybe I don't. You don't? I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm very sensitive about it. <laughs>
1: it's a slightly edgier side of George Takei that I think we've. Are accustomed to
2: to seeing. Yeah, I mean, he's not coming off necessarily as mean in these fights, but he does seem kind of insensitive, doesn't he? I mean, you're you're kind of saying something not nice to your husband and then laughing at him. But yeah, you know, the thing about this is this this is why I'm prescribing it to Emily here, because that would drive me nuts. But for whatever reason, Brad is just okay enough with it that he stays around. And his reward for that is they have so much fun together. You see them going on adventures. You see their camaraderie. You see the love between them. You see the affection. You see the respect. It's not just George being a jerk all the time, but, you know, There's that little thing that George does. He'll say something tough and he'll laugh about it. And who knows what that comes from? Maybe it comes from, you know, a a coping mechanism from the pain he's had in the past or his own life philosophy of like, you know, you may as well laugh. Why cry? You know, who knows what's causing it? But whatever's causing it, it would drive me nuts personally. And it clearly drives Brad nuts. But they still (laughs) love each other. They still make it work. And they don't make it work in a bad way like, oh, we just soldier through this terrible thing. They still have fun. They're still very, very happy together.
1: I like it. That sounds that sounds really good. But what about you, Rafer? What are you going to recommend to Emily? Well, I went with something not scary and really not esoteric. <laughs> I, I went with a little movie from 1981 that maybe you've heard of called
2: On Golden Pond. Ugh, of course. Of course. Jane Fonda, Henry Fonda, the great Catherine Hepburn, all legends. Yes. Right. Of
1: course. Uh, all right. If if there's anyone out there that does not know this movie, or has not heard of it, has not seen it, I'm just going to give you the story. This is about Norman and Ethel Thayer. They're an older couple. Uh, he's kind of a cranky guy. That's Henry Fonda. Kind of a sourpuss, a little hostile. She's a very sweet, doting type. That's Katherine Hepburn. She's also kind of a take-charge woman, very no-nonsense they spend every summer at their cottage in New England, which is at the edge of a lake called Golden Pond, of course. And this particular summer, their uh, daughter, their grown daughter, Chelsea, Jane Fonda, comes to visit. Uh, she's got a fiancé. That fiancé has a 13-year-old boy named Billy. And um, Chelsea, even though she's kind of estranged from her dad and you know has not been a big fan of his for the last few years, they don't talk much. Well, she wants to take a vacation in Europe with her new guy, so would her parents maybe mind watching the kid for a week or so? Norman does not want to do this, but Ethel says yes, of course. And here's a clip.
0: They're a nice middle-aged couple, just like us. If they're just like us, they're not middle-aged. Of course they are. Middle-aged means the middle, Ethel, middle of life. People don't live to be 150. Well, we're at the far edge of middle age, that's all. We're not, you know. We're not middle-aged, you're old, and I'm ancient. Oh, Pooh, you're in your 70s and I'm in my 60s. It's barely on both counts. Would you like to spend the rest of the afternoon quibbling about this? We can if you like. (laughs) Oh, for the Lord's sake. The Miglioris, whatever their age group, have invited us to have dinner sometime. Wouldn't that be nice? Uh, I don't know, I'm not sure my stomach's ready for rigatoni, that sort of thing.
2: Well, Rafer, that is certainly a classic. Yes. Um, On Golden Pond is not just a classic, it's an award-winning classic. And I got to say, this whole thing about couples that, you know, get along, but maybe there are fights here and there, I think on Golden Pond really shows that.
1: It definitely does. Um, And like you say, this was a real award winner. It It was a huge deal when it came out in 1981. You know, I wasn't even aware of sort of the history of this and... What a big thing it was for all these screen legends. It was the first time Henry Fonda and Catherine Heppard had been on the screen together. It was the first time any two Fondas of any kind had ever been on the screen together. A lot of talk about how Henry and Jane Fonda might have had a kind of rocky relationship in real life. And this was mirroring reality. I don't know about that. That always sounded a bit like a marketing narrative to me. But anyway, <laughs> um, you know, even though I think the focus of the movie is really on Norman and the kid. Um it's really I think what you're going to take away from it what most people took away was the marriage. Um you know Norman is this guy who's not easy to live with. He's got a good heart and he can be kind when it counts and he and he, and but he is cranky and he's kind of a curmudgeon but he definitely loves his wife. And on the face of it, you might think they're a little dysfunctional, you know, he, one of these kind of Eisenhower era relationships where the guy's just kind of a jerk and he's cranky and he's nasty all the time. And the wife is just sweet and she's always really good to him. But if you listen to them talk, they're very, very direct with each other and they don't beat around the bush much. And and when one of them does beat around the bush or or avoid being direct... The other one knows that something's wrong. You know, this the, the famous strawberry picking scene is very much like that. You know, Norman keeps making excuses about the strawberries. But we, we know and she knows there's something wrong there. Um, and it's a really great portrait of a marriage that has been around for many, many years and survived. Um, you know, and they just I, I have to say, even though this movie is extremely corny, It is shot in a golden haze, the entire thing. Um, (laughs)
0: Oh, it is. Right? I mean, it's
1: just, it's nothing
2: but... It's like a Thomas Kincaid painting.
0: Yeah,
1: yeah, right. It's all sunsets and wheat and and the the starry (laughs) reflections off the the pond water. Um, But they kind of don't make them like this anymore. Uh, Henry Fonda won the Oscar. Hepburn won the Oscar. Um, The director got nominated. The screenwriter, Ernest Thompson, it was based on his play. He got the uh, uh, screenplay Oscar. Uh, it narrowly missed Best Picture to, can you guess, Kristen?
2: Oh my gosh, 81. Is that when the Muppet movie came out? <laughs> <laughs>
1: that should have won.
2: Love that Rainbow Connection, by the
1: way. That great certainly song. should have won. Uh, no, the winner was Chariots of Fire.
2: Oh, of course. Oh, Chariots of Fire.
1: Anyway, On Golden Pond is a great movie, and it's a great portrait of this very long, loving imperfect marriage, and it might give you something of a of a, a role model and maybe some little inspiration on, you know, how you can make this kind
2: of thing work. So there you go. I think that's a fantastic recommendation, Rafer. So once again, Emily, our prescription is from Rafer on Golden Pond from 1981 and for me to B to K from 2014.
1: All right. Now we're going to take a quick break, but before we do, a reminder that we love it Would you rate and review us in Apple Podcasts. For example, Kate Mo 522 recently gave us five stars and wrote, This podcast is definitely coming at the right time when we all have so much more time to watch movies. I've watched many of their suggestions and enjoyed them. Also, the idea behind it that the right movie can change your outlook or boost your mood is really helpful at a time like this.
2: Thank you very much. I love that. I love that review. By the way, Kate Mo, is this really Kate Moss? Do you think it's Kate Moss Rafer?
1: Kate MO522. I don't know. That's her waist size in millimeters. Maybe. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. That's just a little joke. We don't know if that's you, Kate
2: Moss. Well, whoever you are, Kate Mo 522, we really appreciate it.
1: All right, when we're back, we'll tackle a letter from someone who feels that her life is up in the air. That's the IGN Daily Update, wherever you get your podcasts.
2: We are back with our second letter of the week. Rafer, take it away. Okay, this one comes from Melody.
1: Uh, I love that name. Melody was my favorite character on Josie and the Pussycats.
2: Oh, I just like it
1: because it sounds so musical. It sounds great. Uh, Okay, Melody writes in, Dear Rafer and Kristen, I am in a place in my life where everything is unknown. I'm working a temporary job. I'm living in a temporary place. I'm working on my bachelor's degree. All of this uncertainty is frustrating and completely out of my comfort zone. I feel as if I'm waiting to begin my life, and it won't begin. I need help getting through this time when everything is up in the air so that I can get to the next chapter when things are more clear-cut and I can really focus on my goals.
2: I'm sure a lot of us have felt this way before, where... We're just trudging through one foot in front of the other, trying to get through that thing, but you know what, Melody? I have a surprise for you. You're never going to get to that thing.
1: That's right, Kristen. That's exactly right.:
2: Is that too philosophical, or
1: <laughs> your, your, Amen, sister, preach) <laughs> Keep going.
2: Yeah, whatever that next thing is, there's always going to be something else after that, and after that, and after that, and after, and after, and after, and after. So right now it might be, oh, I'm trudging through. I just got to do this thing so that I can graduate and get my own apartment But then what? What happens once you graduate and have your own apartment? There's going to be something else that you're reaching for, right? Oh, maybe that thing is, oh, I'm going to save up enough money to go on a fabulous vacation. Well, what happens after that vacation then? Oh, maybe you save up enough money to buy a car or to move from your apartment to a house. Who knows what it is? But there's always going to be that next thing. And I would encourage you to think about the moment you're in. It may not be 100% happy. You may not like the drudgery of it. You may not like that everything feels kind of in limbo, but if there's a way to try and enjoy moment to moment little bits and pieces of your life right now, I think you'll be much happier than if you're just waiting for life to begin. You don't have to wait. Your life is here right now.
1: I think that's exactly right. I'm, I'll try to put it in a slightly different way. This is my life these days, right? I'm just, whenever I'm speaking to my older son, I'm just trying to find different ways to phrase the same thing, hoping that one of those ways will suddenly click. So I'm just going to say the same thing that Kristen said, which is, Melody, I think what you're doing is living in the future. You, are, you mm. are living in a time that is not yet here. And that's where your focus is. That's where your mind is. That's where your heart, your spirit, and your, your presence is in the future. This is, this is, this pr- what, what's happening now here to you is not the real life. The real life is the one that's about to begin. Um, this is something I have a great deal of experience in. And let me tell you, it's not right. <laughs> Don't do it. It doesn't work. I'm telling you right now, you can use me as a cautionary tale. It doesn't work. Um, this is it. When the hippies say things like, be here now, that's really all they're trying to communicate to you is just what Kristen was saying. It's You're living it. It's happening right now. And you've got to make the most of it. And you've got to suck it up and soak it up. And try to do what you can with it, even if things are a little bit of a bummer for you. You gotta you gotta this this is all there is. The present moment really is truly all there is. The past is the past is gone, the future doesn't exist. It's just the present.
2: Yes. So on that note, Rafer, what are we going to prescribe Melody? Well, I'm gonna reach back again to yet another kind of
1: obvious classic. I'm just full of all sorts of obvious films today. <laughs> um, I'm going to go back to 1973, and I'm going to recommend to Melody American Graffiti
2: by George Lucas. George Lucas. I think I've heard of him before. You've heard of George Lucas? <laughs> he made that movie where they go out into space. <laughs> That's right. This is actually
1: American Graffiti from 1973 is the only film George Lucas ever made that is not a science fiction film. Wow. He, he made all the Star Wars He made THX 1138, kind of a semi-obscure dystopian film.
2: My husband likes that movie.
1: Oh, yeah. I like that movie, too. Donald Pleasants. Yeah, I like that movie. It was was George Lucas's uh, film school thesis project originally. Mm. Um, And uh, this is his only—literally, it's his second film— the one he did before Star Wars. It's his only film that deals with like real people in the real world. Um, and it's a very famous movie, but I also think that it's kind of faded from memory a little bit. Um, I think if you're under like 50, it's very possible that you haven't seen it at all. Uh, <laughs> anyway, here's the story. It's a group of high school graduates. They're living in Modesto, California, where George Lucas grew up. Um, Richard Dreyfus is Kurt Henderson. Ron Howard is his friend, Steve. Uh, Charles Martin Smith is Terry the Toad. He's kind of the group's nerdy mascot. And there's a guy named John Milner, played by Paul Lamatt. He's this kind of cool, hot-rod dude. He's kind of the neighborhood James Dean. The year is 1962. It's the last day of summer vacation, just before all these friends are going to go their separate ways and live their separate lives. And here's a clip. What did you say? Wait, what did you say? What did you say? Quick, quick, hang on right Stephen, cut over to G Street. I just saw a vision. I saw a goddess. Come on, you gotta catch up to her. I didn't anything.
2: Come on, Kurt. We can't be spending half the night chasing girls down for you.
1: Maury, huh? I'm telling you, this was the most perfect, dazzling creature I've ever Get seen. It.
2: She's gone.
1: Get it. She spoke to me. She spoke to me right through the window. I think she said, I love you. That means nothing to you people. You have no romance, no soul? She, Someone wants me. Someone roaming the streets wants me.
0: Will you turn the corner? Oh, Kurt.
1: It's kind of a granddaddy of the youth nostalgia film that sort of remember when, you know, the Lords of Flatbush and Diner and Dazed of Confused. Mm-hmm. And I think, like, possibly if you stretch it a little bit, even a movie like... Booksmart or super Bad kind of owes a debt to this movie. The one crazy night, right? Me and my friends, last day of our youth, mm-hmm. right? Um, anyway, there's no real story to this film. It's you're just kind of hanging out with these characters as they as they go through all these different things, trying to buy booze at the liquor store, meet a girl, uh, trying to meet their hero, Wolfman Jack, the DJ at the local station. And they're just generally trying to kind of soak it up. And that's really the message of all these movies is... You just – you've got to soak it up and, 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 and make a good story out of it if you can. If you can't make a good story out of it, put a positive spin on it. Find something in this life of yours that you're going to love and you're going to remember. Um, and I guess, I guess the thing is just like don't, don't wish it away. And the reason you shouldn't wish it away is because it will work. You will wish it away. It will be gone. Mm. And then that was it. Then that portion of your life is just gone. And so I think uh, that's a big thing about nostalgia. That's that sort of that's why we get that bittersweet tang. Remember when? Remember when? Now it's gone. So, you know, live it while it's here. I keep saying the same thing. Anyway, that's all I have.
2: American Graffiti. But it's true. It's true, Rafer. That's a great suggestion. American Graffiti.
1: Well, and Kristen, how about you?
2: Well, I decided to go with something that I felt would more uh, metaphorically, even though it's a very blunt metaphor, uh, show what we're trying to talk about here. Okay. That it's about the journey, not the destination. And what better way to show that it's about the journey rather than the destination than a road trip movie? Okay. And I went all the way back to the greatest road trip movie of the early 20th century, it Happened One Night. Oh, of course. Sure. Now, It Happened One Night is from 1934. You've seen it, right, Rafer? Of course.
1: Clark Gable, Claudette Colbert, The Handcuff Scene, of course. Oh,
2: yes. All of it. All of it. Now, this is a movie that I have to note is pre code. So, mm-hmm. Uh, If you compare it to other Hollywood movies of the early 20th century, you'll find it a little bit racier, a little bit naughtier, and a lot funnier than a lot of movies from back then. So that's one of the reasons I recommend it because it's just a good movie. It's just funny. It's just well written. It's very snappy. The dialogue's good. So that's one reason. But the main reason I am recommending this is because to get back to that metaphor of the journey being more important than the destination, we see that in this movie. So the general story is we have a spoiled heiress named Ellie. She's played by Claude Colbert. She's eloped with a pilot named Wesley against the wishes of her extremely rich father who wants the marriage annulled because he knows Wesley is really just a gold digger. Anywho, Ellie's going to do what she wants regardless of what her dad says. She's trying to reunite with her husband. She jumps a ship. She boards a Greyhound bus to New York City to get back together with him. But early on in her journey, she meets fellow passenger Peter, played by Clark Gable. He's a newspaper reporter who's recently lost his job. He recognizes her and he gives her a choice. If she gives him an exclusive on her story, he'll help her reunite with Wesley. But if not, he'll tell her father where she is. Ellie, of course, agrees to the first option. Here's a clip.
0: So suppose nobody stops for us, huh?
1: They'll stop, all right.
0: It's all a matter of knowing how to hail them. Oh, and you're an expert, I suppose. Expert? I'm going to write a book about it, called The Hitchhiker's Hail. Eh. Do you mind if I try? You. <laughs> Don't make me laugh. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you're such a smart Alec. Nobody knows anything but you. I'll stop a car and I won't use my thumb. What are you going to do? It's a system all my own.
2: that, of course, is the very famous scene when Claudette Colbert lifts up her skirt, shows off her killer gams, and proves once and for all that an heiress makes for a better hitchhiker than a newspaper man. Gee, I'd
1: forgotten he was a
2: reporter. Oh, yeah. I love love so many movies back in this era. Reporters get to be heroes all the time in these kinds of movies. (laughs) You and I would be kings and queens back then, Rafer.
1: (laughs) I'd wear the hat, too. I'd wear it proudly. Oh, yeah,
2: definitely, definitely. Now... This movie, like I said, it might be telling the story a little bit too bluntly, but it really is about the journey. Who gives a damn if she ever gets reunited with Wesley? It doesn't matter. Wesley is this imaginary thing that she is looking to that is going to be the beacon of hope, the perfect happy ending, the happily ever after. But is it really? And if she gets together with Wesley, what happens after the happily ever after? It doesn't actually even matter because what we're focusing on is the journey, the journey that she doesn't want to be on. Right. The Greyhound bus. the shabby hotel rooms, the hundreds of hours of the open road. She doesn't want to be on that journey. She just wants to get it done with. But the greatest things happen to her while she's on that journey. And I think that when it comes to your own journey, Melody, you may find that what's in front of you may also, you know, that open road in front of you, that mundanity, whatever it is you're facing, it may look like you don't want to do it. But there may be magic there for you, too, just like there is for Ellie in It Happened One Night.
1: I totally agree. I think that's I think that's a great observation. Uh, it's a it's a great observation about the road movie in general. Right. The Sure Thing. Oh, and, yeah. And, and Midnight Run and The Silver Streak.
2: And even Vacation. Sure. Yeah. Who cares about Wally World? <laughs> <laughs>
1: right. There's always there's always that moment where you realize that your eyes have been focused sort of on the, the horizon where the road narrows and sort of meets the triangle. But what's really happening is what is what's happening right now. That's great. I love that. I love that, Kristen.
2: Oh, good. I'm glad you approve. It, it was um, not quite as much on point as your movie, but um, I, I think they are both good picks. So once again, those are from Rafer American Graffiti. And for me, it happened one night.
1: All right, we're going to take one more quick break. But before we do, do you need some movie therapy? Visit our website, RaferandKristen.com. Fill out the contact form. You don't have to use your real name. Pretty
2: much nobody does, I think. No, no. We have so many Emilys. And we don't even know if Melody's real name is Melody. <laughs> <That's true>. Also, <laughs> if you haven't already, join the conversation on our Facebook community. That's Facebook.com slash groups slash Rafer and
1: When we're back, we'll have our What Should I Watch Next Letter of the Week.
0: Hey Matt, did you know that wombats poop cubes? Nope, never heard that before. Did you know the unicorn is the national
1: animal of Scotland, Ken? I didn't know, nor do I care. Join us every Tuesday for
2: new hour-long episodes of Triviality, plus tons of extra theme content on everything from The Office and Lord of the Rings to science and geography.
0: And sometimes we even do sports.
1: Find us on all your preferred podcast apps and take part in the fun of playing bar trivia without the need to wear pants. Real mature, Jeff. Forget it, Neil. It's Triviality. We're back, and it's time for this week's What Should I Watch Next Letter Kristen, you want to read this one?
2: Sure, I'll take it. It is from Isaac. Isaac writes Dear Rafer and Kristen, as per your suggestion, my wife and I recently tried Shit's Creek and ended up binging the whole thing in under two weeks. What we liked best about it was that most of the characters were good people who weren't especially complicated. <laughs> maybe it's the pandemic speaking, or maybe we're just turning into vanilla middle-of-the-road types, but we're not currently interested in watching antiheroes like Fleabag as much as we enjoyed shows like that in the past. We want decent people who we might even be friends with in real life. What should we watch next?
1: Now that's very interesting. I like this letter because... Um, It really, it really, it makes me wonder whether or not TV is maybe turning a corner on some of this stuff. This really, these kind of dark anti-heroes. Now, you know, Fleabag is not an anti-hero the way that, like, Walter White is an anti-hero. You know, it's not, it's not like Breaking Bad. Oh, gosh.
2: (laughs) But, you know, these kind of... Yeah, or The Sopranos, or, oh, my gosh, there were so many of them. Right, there's been
1: so many of them. And maybe this is just, maybe this is just sort of going to be like... That's just going to be a, a a common strain of TV programming. It'll just last forever. But it does kind of make you wonder if you know maybe this maybe this era of really you know, dark, heavy, depressing television as, you don't know maybe is kind of reaching a little bit of a turning point. I, I was just uh, interviewing actually uh, Ed Burns, uh, who's got Ooh. a new yeah he's got a new series out on epics called uh, Bridge and Tunnel, and the whole point of it uh, was to just make something really light, really light hearted breezy fun. No drama, nothing depressing, no serial killers. That was explicit. Uh, And it's just about like a group of, uh, you know, teenagers hanging out in Long Island in 1980 and, you know, on the cusp of adulthood. And it's just supposed to be fresh and breezy. I'm not recommending that. I'm just saying I talked to him and that was the point. The point was to do something anti-dark. So it's kind of interesting, Mm -hmm. this letter.
2: So you feel like this might be a trend that we might be thirsty for now? I don't know. I mean, you know, it might just be that this
1: is, you know, it's... that might be not the right way of putting it. It might be like um, you know, like punk, you know, punk, punk, or heavy metal. It's it's like they they came and they just sort of stayed. Do You know what I mean? There was they were the trend that never went away. <laughs> well, I mean, I guess all of rock and roll has now gone away. But you know what I'm saying? <laughs>
2: <laughs> but Kristen, what's what's your prescription for Isaac? Right, so, Isaac, I am going to prescribe you a show that is nice as can be. Everybody is nice, nice, nice on this show. <laughs> It is a network TV show from CBS. It is also on Netflix. It is called The Unicorn. Oh, Reefer, yeah. have you heard of The Unicorn? I, it's with uh, Walton Goggins, right? Yes, Reefer. it is. And before the show, I didn't even know his name. I just thought he was that guy on those car commercials or that insurance ad oh, no. or whatever it was.
1: He's great. listen. I know I'm doing I'm doing a lot of name dropping about about this right now, but I interviewed him as well just before he did this uh, this show. He's a he's a he's a great uh, he's a great character actor. Been around for a long time. A lot of fun. Yeah, no, he's great.
2: Wow. So, you know, like I said, I only really knew him from TV ads. Right. And I gotta say, I wasn't really excited to watch this show. I just thought, oh, great. Another, you know, middle-aged straight white guy who gets to be the hero and date whoever he wants to and be seen as something special. And I'm just like, oh, God, haven't we had this show done a million times our whole lives? But one night, my husband just on a whim turned it on. And you know what, Rafer? I. Rafer? Loved it. No kidding. I loved how vanilla the show was. It is so vanilla, and it's so good. So really, yes. So here's here's the story. On um, the unicorn, Wade is the main character. He's a single father trying to find, you know balance in life after his wife dies. His friends encourage him to re-enter the dating scene, join a widower's group, and take chances in life. But Wade is very much out of practice. He's terrible at all of these things. He stumbles along the way. And throughout, he's also trying to be a good father to his kids. Here's a clip.
1: Unhand that man's credit card. Uh, your wingmen have arrived. Oh, what are you guys doing here? Huh? Oh, I'm so happy that you came. Oh
0: may be happily married man, but that doesn't mean we can't enjoy hooking a brother oh yeah man yeah. we're
1: gonna give you a night you'll never forget you're gonna leave this place with conservatively speaking now 20 phone numbers
0: uh i don't know that there are that many women in this bar but i appreciate the attitude yeah watch this all right i'll give it a shot How about okay. this
1: <laughs> hey oh, oh that was just way too loud i'm sorry i'm sorry that was way too loud no buddy it's okay No, you just gave it your best shot i did yeah i did yeah now my impression when i i saw this You know, the the unicorn refers to the fact that he's sort of the ultimate catch that doesn't exist, right? Nice guy, dad, kids, right? Oh, my gosh.
2: Yeah, and that's another reason I didn't want to watch it. I'm like, oh, great. You know, just like we're going to turn this mediocre guy into a hero as if, like, he's that special.
1: (laughs) I would. I know I get you. I hear what you're saying. I always just assume that it would have been a little bit on the edgy side because it's sort of all about dating and stuff. But you're saying it's not.
2: It's pretty wholesome, actually. No kidding. That's interesting. Yeah. I mean, it's a really sweet show. Like, occasionally there's, like, a tiny bit of edge here and there. But the edge isn't any more edgy than anything you'd see on the show Modern Family. (laughs) That's, like, about as edgy as it gets. Um, But I also have to say, like, for all of its sweetness and how vanilla it is, it's also, like, really funny at times, especially when Wade is hanging out with the hard-drinking ladies in his widow's group or when he's on some of these awkward dates because he's so bad at dating. And just huge bonus points to all the – to all the actors on the show who play his best friends. There's two couples that he's best friends with, but in particular, Michaela Watkins and Rob Cordry are so funny on the show.
1: Oh, that's great. I'm glad I'm really glad to hear that. Um I, okay. Kristen, I'm just gonna keep going.
2: I know you're gonna name drop Michaela Watkins, because aren't I, you friends with her? I'm kind of friends with her. I'm I'm <laughs>
1: friendly with her. I'm friendly with her. She is she is the wife of an, of, of my she she is the wife of my wife's dear old friend. That's how, that's how I know Michaela Watkins. She's wonderful and charming. I always root for her whenever I see her on a, on a show or uh, popping up in a movie. I'm, I'm always rooting for her.
2: Um, so I'm glad to hear that. Yeah, she's so good. She's so good. Um, it just, doesn't matter what she does. I just, I just love her. I think she's so funny.
1: Yesterday the night we saw her dying on Grey's Anatomy and we texted our <laughs> friend and said, hey, we're watching your wife die on Grey's Anatomy. That was fun. <laughs> Um, anyway, okay. Let's see if I can stop. Let's see if I can stop the celebrity name dropping. I'm sorry, Kristen. This
2: is unlike me. I don't want you to. This is hilarious, Rafer. <laughs> <laughs> You're just like Tahani on The Good Place. I don't even know if yeah, you know that's that TV right. show. Of course. That's right. <laughs> oh, It's that's just like that one time I set up Ruth Bader Ginsburg with Brad Pitt. Oh, my right. God. <laughs>
1: I forgotten about Tahani. That's why I'm being a total Tahani right now. Oh my
2: God. Uh, okay. I'm sorry. I'll stop. I'll stop. Okay. Don't stop. Don't stop. <laughs> what are you going to, what are you going to recommend?
1: Okay. I'm going to recommend a show that I think people by now are, are aware of, but I think for a while it was kind of flying under the radar uh, from this year called Ted Lasso. It's the show with Jason Sudeikis. Now, Kristen,
2: do you know this show? No, you don't, <laughs> Rafer, I have a really good excuse. I let my Apple TV lapse. Okay, although even when I had Apple TV, I didn't watch it.
1: That's interesting. Okay, this is this is this is what tells me that maybe Ted Lasso is occupying this kind of weird, sort of sleeper hit slash mega hit. Like where, like a lot of people are, have become fans of it. And yet a lot of people kind of aren't really aware of it. Anyway, that's interesting. All right. I'll give you the the, the quick version. This is a show that grew out of a, of a little promo, an NBC sports promo that originally was just like a six minute spot with Jason Sudeikis playing an American coach who was put in charge of an English football team, what we call soccer, obviously. You know, ha-ha, a lot of jokes about, you know, Americans versus Brits and, you know, jokes about, you know, how the game is played and Americans don't know that. And, oh, you can you can have a tie in this game, that kind of stuff. Um well, it was, it was popular enough, or at least it struck some kind of chord enough, that they turned it into an entire series. And so now, Jason Sudeikis plays this guy, Ted Lasso. He's a college football coach from Kansas, and he's been put in charge of the fictional AFC Richmond team, one of these once great, now awful teams, uh, owned by Rebecca Welton. She's an extremely rich businesswoman. And if you're wondering why she would put an American ignoramus in charge of her team, it's because her husband really... Rupert cheated on her. They are now divorced. She got the team, and she wants to destroy the team because it's the only thing that Rupert ever loved. And so she hires this seeming idiot named Ted Lasso. Here's a clip. Remember what you said to me, our first day coach in Wichita
2: State? Lose the ponytail? Relax. They're just kids. Well, these still sure as heck ain't kids. Hey, look at Isaac. He looks like sculpture sculpturing cleats. Boots.
0: Hmm? They call cleats boots. I thought you said that the trunk of the car was a boot. Also a boot. Hold on now. If I were to get fired from a job where I'm putting cleats in the trunk of my car... You got
2: the boot for putting boots in the boot.
0: <laughs> I love that.
2: Oh, that wacky British English. All the different <laughs> words. That's How's right. about that? That does sound pretty wholesome, actually, if the jokes are about things like, I call it a boot. Right. It, it's exa- <laughs> that's exactly right. Well, here's the, here's the thing about
1: the show. I think when it first came out, um, critics, I think critics just thought it was a big nothing burger. They just thought like, well, you know, what an American in England, like how much how much mileage can you get out of that? Plus, it's not really the most dramatic fish-out-of-water concept I've heard, right? Oh, no, it's (laughs) the guy who speaks American English and we speak British English, you know? And I think critics just sort of waved it away. But slowly and steadily, I think this series really got a following, and people I know were into it, and I started reading more and more about it, and finally I took a gamble on it. um, And it just... I I watched it with my wife, my two kids, and we just fell in love with it completely instantly. And I think this is the reason why. Here's this guy, this American guy who's from Kansas. He's got this aw accent. He goes to England and every single person in England just freaking hates him. They hate him. His national nickname (laughs) is Wanker. And, you know, the team hates him. Rebecca hates him. She's literally actively plotting his destruction. And so what does he do? He brings Rebecca shortbread every morning, which she loves. He gives little <gasps> gifts to his players. He lets the kit boy, a guy named Nate, kit the kit boy, I think I have this right. He's who we would call the water boy, maybe, in football. Uh, okay. He lets the kit boy, like, help out with coaching and come up with a play. He celebrates the player's birthdays. And eventually, it all kind of starts to work. And the and these British guys are like, you fucking wanker, you fuck. Eventually, they're kind of like, well, all right, I... I will read this copy of Wrinkle in Time that you've given me. <laughs> uh, that's one of my favorite moments where the guy is like, am I supposed to be the little girl on this? Um, it's really funny. You know, someone insults you. You try to win them over. As two people are fighting, you don't pick sides. You try to broker a little piece and get them to come together. And I know it sounds corny. And I know it has almost like a Bible study ring to it. But... Jason Sudeikis is so sharp and funny and likable. He's got just a little bit of an edge that makes you realize that he's not just a drip. He's got a plan. He's smart, and he's gonna. He's gonna. His plan is to unite and conquer, and you really start to feel like, well, that might work, and I want it to work, and I. I feel like. There, 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 is some, there is some vulgarity, there's some F-words, there's some kind of crass sexual talk here and there. I've watched this with my boys. They love it. They just gloss right over that. And I think we all just felt like this is absolutely the right show at the right time. This is exactly why this show is getting popular, because it's about a nice guy succeeding in a mean world, and it's got a little bit of magic to it. And I know that sounds ridiculous to say, will it last for more than one season? I don't know. But I'm really enjoying it and I find it really charming and very heartwarming and fun.
2: Ted Lasso. The question is: the question is, are you friends with Jason Sudeikis? I'm not. We <laughs> need one more name drop I'm reefer. not friends with
1: anyone, <laughs> anyone involved in that show, as far as I know. But I'll do my best to try <laughs> and I'll get back to you. <laughs> All, right. <laughs> All right. So let's just recap. From me, Ted Lasso from this year, and from Kristen, the unicorn. On CBS and Netflix, that's from 2019.
2: And you know what, Refer I guess that's it for this week's episode of Movie Therapy. That's the end? I guess it's time for us to call up, yeah, time for us to call up Michaela Watkins, <laughs> salt and Pepper, whoever else you interviewed today. You're going to call up Michaela
1: Watkins <laughs> and she's going to say, I've never heard of that person. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Listen, thanks to everybody who wrote in. We really appreciate it. Uh, a little, quick reminder, you can reach us on our website, RaferandKristen.com, or via Twitter, at Rafer Guzman, and at Kristen
2: Meinzer. Until next time, I'm Kristen Meinzer. And I'm Rafer Guzman. Thank you so much for listening. Bye. Bye. Oh, bye, Leonardo. <laughs>